You know, about 90% of data collected by organizations just goes unused. Uh, it's not used at all. And it isn't that it's not relevant. It's just people don't have the time or the expertise to, to look at it. Data. Businesses are collecting an awful lot of it, but there are times when they're unable to analyze it, to make sense of it all, and to turn it into something meaningful and understandable by others and to create real business value. Is natural language generation the solution? That's right. Natural language generation, not processing. Today, we're doing a deep dive into this exciting technology to learn about the opportunities it presents and the artificial intelligence behind it that makes it all possible. I'm John Pryle. Welcome to the Impact Podcast. So why don't we start off by having you introduce yourself? I'm Stuart Frankel. I'm the CEO and one of the co-founders of Narrative Science. Why don't you tell us what Narrative Science does? So Narrative Science is a technology company. We have uh, built what we call an advanced natural language generation platform called Quill. And what Quill does is it uh, takes data, it uh, mines that data for meaning and insight, figures out what's interesting and important, and then renders that analysis, not in a picture or a chart or a graph, but in a natural language document. Sounds fascinating. So how about giving our listeners an example, a real life application of how your technology is being used and the value that it provides? We do a lot of work with financial services companies, and I think one of the you know, great examples of what we do is we actually make um, investment portfolio data and informational uh, and information useful to people so that they can actually understand it. So imagine that you are an individual investor and you work with an online brokerage, and what you've been given essentially is a proprietary reporting portal where you log in. You get a table of your holdings, you get a pie chart that describes your investment allocation, whatever that means. You get your investment results compared to certain indices that are uh, unintelligible and not understandable. And frankly, all of this information is pretty much useless for just about every investor, even if those investors are sophisticated. And what Quill does is it actually makes that information and makes that data understandable by presenting it to you, not in some format that is so foreign to you, but in a natural language document. All you've got to do is read and you can understand all the information that you need right from that document in a way that you typically understand information. That's really interesting. But, but before we dig into that, let's, let's take a step back. Without getting too hung up on taxonomy, I want to understand the difference between natural language processing, NLP, which I think is a pretty ubiquitous term these days, and natural language generation, which may not be as familiar to everyone. Can you explain the distinction? Sure. Well, um, natural language processing and natural language generation have actually been around for a while. Natural language generation is really a subset of natural language you know, processing. So you know, all of these technologies involve quite obviously natural language. On the processing side, typically what you're talking about with NLP is actually taking unstructured data sources, documents, if you will, emails, letters, reports, and then extracting 
important or relevant information from those documents. So you may have heard um, terms like entity extraction, where um, you're actually scanning a bunch of documents or a system is scanning a bunch of documents, looking for certain words, certain people, certain locations, um, certain facts that you can then put into a relational database and start to analyze and draw some connections amongst these, amongst these terms. Natural language generation is actually the opposite. It's starting with not unstructured documents, but actually structured data. So stuff that's typically already sitting in a relational database. And then taking that information, uh, applying analytics uh, and inference, and then having a system automatically create a document, if you will. So creating the language versus taking language and actually extracting data from that. And people ask us all the time, they say, hey, can you just take your machine and put it in reverse? And my co-founder has a great um, analogy, which says that's like taking a bottle of Jack Daniels and getting wheat, you know, turning the process uh, uh, on its head and getting wheat once you put Jack Daniels in a, in a machine. So very different technologies, very different approaches, but falling under this you know, umbrella of, of AI and natural language. And one of the key elements that are often delivering a rich analytic solution is kind of building a large corpus of data. So you'll start with a data source. Uh, does, the, does it matter? To, does it have to get bigger? Do you have enough to get started with for building applications for people? There's no question the more data that we have and the more data that Quill has access to, the richer the information and the richer the story. But interestingly, while the system requires data and is actually data-driven, we don't start with the data. And I think that's one of the things that really distinguishes uh, Quill from many other technologies that are out there today. If you think about the way that data and big data and, and uh, even analytics have really rolled out in organizations, it starts with the data. So we went through a period of data capture, right? Let's start capturing as much data as we possibly can. Let's figure out how to store it. Let's figure out how to store more of it and then call it big data. And, um, and then we need ways to analyze it. So um, companies started to buy uh, business intelligence applications and then analytics applications and then specialized analytics applications. And we bought all of this stuff to really try to figure out what's interesting in the data. What is that nugget of information that's going to change my business? We actually start and Quill starts with what is the business problem we're trying to solve? What is the communication goal that we're trying to achieve here? So um, the way that people typically work is they have a job and they've got certain duties um, within that job uh, description, but a big part of their job and an increasingly big part of everybody's job, at least in the enterprise, is to report what's going on. And it isn't necessarily to report what's going on in the data. It's to report things like, how's the sales team performing? How is the product launch going? How is this team of professionals doing? And when you start with the communication goal, what you want to say and who you want to say it to, the data part is a lot easier. And the analytics is a lot easier because you know exactly what analytics you need to apply and once you know that, you know exactly what data you need to go and look for. And so rather than starting with all of the data in the world, we 
actually start with the communication goal and then figure out what data we need. That's great. So as you turn this data into a story, then uh, you work with visualization tools. So you work, for example, with Click. Talk about how you're adding value to what they're already delivering to their customer set. Yeah. So as I mentioned, there's a lot of infrastructure that's already in place. Business intelligence applications have really um, um, you know, been adopted by any you know, decent size uh, organization. Visualization continues to be hot. So the front end of most data and, uh, and analytic applications is some type of visualization package. And what visualization does is it gives you a picture of the data. It expresses the data in a visual form, but it still requires a fair amount of interpretation, a fair amount of analysis. Typically, you need some specialized skills to look at and interpret uh, a visualization. And most employees don't necessarily have those skills or have the, 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 the time to do, that, to do that work. And so what we've done is we've actually decoupled aspects of our platform, taken some of our IP, uh, our core, what we call authoring capability, and started to embed that into existing BI and visualization platforms. So the first of these relationships we announced a few weeks ago with Click. Click is one of the you know, leading modern BI companies in the world. And we have um, uh, embedded a version of Quill natively into the Click Sense interface. So as a Click user, you download a little extension to Click. It's called Narratives for Click. And once you download it, it is instantly working in concert with the um, visualization aspects of ClickSense to give you what is truly a full story of your, of your data. So narratives are generated in real time dynamically to accompany the visualization that users are developing when they're in this ClickSense. Neat. So a couple of the cool examples you've got. Uh, let's talk about sports news. You know, you've got... You've got some play-by-play, you've got some box score information, and yet somehow you're able to turn that into much more than just an article that looks like it was written by a computer. You, you recognize games go back and forth and crushing victories. or How do you develop the, the logic behind all that and, and the tooling that's required to, to make that happen? Yeah, well, that's actually how the company got started. So our, our roots going way back to kind of the 2008-2009 timeframe, we're in journalism. So an early version of our technology was incubated at Northwestern University, uh, came out of both the School of Engineering and the School of Journalism. And in fact, the prototype was just that. It was a baseball story writer. It would take box score, play-by-play information, a little bit of historical contextual data, and you'd press a button and out would pop a story about the baseball game that sounded like an Associated Press reporter was at the game. And it was really uh, interesting because it worked and it worked at scale, but all it did was write stories about baseball games. And the way that that prototype was developed was it actually just drew from traditional aspects of journalism. Um, uh, When uh, a journalist goes to write a story, there's a headline, there's a lead to the story, there's a narrative arc. And so we started to develop some tools that would allow, frankly, journalists to configure this early version of the technology, incorporating those concepts that I just described 
in baseball and then other sports beyond baseball eventually were the things that we first focused on. So totally different narrative arc then is in the financial industry and you've got anti-money laundering rules and bribery data and somehow you could turn that into a suspicious activity report. So now we've got new data, we've got new analyses, a totally different story arc. How, how does all this come to be and, and uh, help me understand some of the underlying technologies if you require machine learning algorithms and the like and how you get that to happen? Yeah, well, well, an interesting thing, let me just tell you a quick story. An interesting thing happened along the way. So we started uh, in business, you know, we, we formally launched the company in, in 2010. We rolled the prototype out of the university. We had this baseball story writer. We started to do other sports. We started to do financial news, things that sort of logically followed kind of that early, that early use case. And um, the interesting thing that came out of that first work that we did was that we created some awareness around the company because journalists became very interested in what we were doing. And it turns out that um, journalists cannot resist writing about their own profession, particularly <laughs> when they think that, that their jobs could be in jeopardy or their um, industry could be changed materially by, by a new set of technologies. And so we got lots of stories in um, great publications um, that were, some were tongue-in-cheek, some started out, I think, really skeptical. There would be a headline that said, look, this is the company that's going to put sports writers out of business. This is the company that's going to put financial analysts out of business. But in the end, they almost all concluded that this was probably something that was going to work, and it wasn't going to put people out of uh, jobs. It was going to actually help them do their job better. It was going to supplement and, and augment the activities that they were doing to give them some more time and to free them up to actually do um, higher, higher value things. That exposure actually led to a lot of inbound interest in the company from uh, industries, um, really just, just about every industry you can think of. So whether it was financial services or marketing services or government, pharma, you name it, all describing this common problem of, hey, we've got all this data now. We've got this data infrastructure that we have invested in. Um, we're not getting a good return from that investment. Can you help us do that? And so people looked at their data and said, there's got to be value here, but the tools that I have aren't necessarily helping me extract that, extract that data. And so we started engaging with these companies, but we knew that in order for us to provide them with value and for us to create long, uh, lucrative uh, relationships with these companies, we did have to start to solve real business problems and help them help them do that. So we looked around and um, you know, we had customers, early customers across many of these different industries. We started focusing on financial services um, because we knew that there was a lot of data, there was a lot of um, uh, investment potential, and there were Lots of things like regulatory um, oversight, regulatory requirements that could potentially um, um, be benefited by applying a technology like Quill. And so we built what essentially is an abstracted version of, of, of Quill, a system that didn't just write baseball stories or sports stories or financial news stories, but with some configuration tools could be configured to write any story from any data set. And then we went about and we started 
configuring the technology to solve very real problems. So you brought up suspicious activity reports um, and complying with anti-money laundering laws and regulations. Huge problem within any decent-sized financial services organization. These companies are subject to lots of fines and penalties. And it turns out that we could configure Quill to write these reports to write them instantaneously with receipt of the data and do it in a way that was faster with a higher quality and cheaper than people could actually could actually do. Great. Well, let's talk a bit more about artificial intelligence. When you first started, you, you um, made a choice not to call yourself an AI company. Why was that? So interestingly, you know, when we started the company, um, AI was really um, not in favor. This was, again, in the kind of 2008-2009 time frame and you know for for as you probably recall or or know you know ai has been around for a long time now it's been around since the 50s but it certainly had its ups and downs in general i would describe ai until recently as more promise than actual practical applications that have worked themselves into our everyday lives it's not to say there haven't been successes in ai but up until again the last few years or so um, AI was, you know, very much speculative. So when we started the company, I started it with two computer science professors from Northwestern whose background is in AI. And they felt pretty strongly when we were talking about how we're positioning the company not to assign the company with the AI label. They just felt like AI was not in favor and that there would be negative connotations associated with the company very quickly. And so um, we dabbled in using the AI language, but we didn't necessarily kind of lead with that. Well, lo and behold, you know, a year or two after we started the company, AI became one of the hottest areas of technology. And we really found ourselves in a position to very um, genuinely be able to hold ourselves out as a company that was building technologies powered by AI. And in fact, Frankly, I think still one of the few companies that have built a successful um, AI technology that has worked its way uh, into the enterprise. Cool. So you've got the the AI infrastructure within narrative science, as well as the, the, the app on top of it in terms of writing the narratives and the like. As companies think about what they can do, um, do they need to do it all themselves? Can they leverage some of the other AI engines that might be out there, whether they're going to use a you know, Google tool or what Amazon offers and you know, bring their data to bear? What, what's your sense as a company gets started, what they, what they should be focusing on as they think about delivering value to, to their customers? So I think in most cases, companies will um, likely not build the underlying infrastructure. These are hard technologies to build. They take a lot of money. Uh, it takes a lot of time. And we're already seeing uh, AI-powered technologies being built by companies that are sitting on top of things that are already out there. So IBM Watson, I think, is a great example of a company that's opened up its APIs and opened up its technology and has started to develop an ecosystem where companies are building things that are now being labeled as powered by Watson. And I think you're going to see more and more things like that. You'll see relatively soon uh, applications that are being third-party applications that are being powered by Quill. Uh, we have already developed some of those uh, on our own, for example. We've got a product called Quill Engage. Um, and Quill Engage is a Google Analytics reporting 
product. You can sign up for it. It creates natural language reports about your Google Analytics data. And, you know, um, I think quite nicely fits into that application bucket. Um, Even things like narratives for click and some of the other BI applications that uh, we've developed, uh, I think also fit under that category as well, where the underlying technology is being used to leverage things that um, rely on the technology, but exist really independently of the technology as well. So a key getting to doing better and better with AI solutions, obviously, is training, you know, with, you know, deep within the concepts of machine learning and deep learning are training algorithms. How do you measure success, train your systems? You know, you're not necessarily getting likes on a newspaper read. Maybe you are, but how, how do you know that it's working and how do you get better? Yeah, so, I mean, we have the advantage and disadvantage of really being judged on our output. Um, So, we're creating things in natural language. Um, People are used to um, reading and used to absorbing information through reading. And so, we can get lots of, you know, instantaneous user feedback from our customers in terms of the readability, for example, the accuracy, and just the overall quality of the reports that we put together. Um, Also keep in mind that a lot of the stuff that we do, we're automating and and supplementing activities that are going on already. So regulatory filings, for example, have fairly strict criteria in terms of the information that is presented and the format um, by which it needs to be presented. And so we've got some constraints, natural constraints, around the business that frankly help us with respect to a target and help us with respect to focusing on things like quality. And um, a winning AI strategy, sometimes they talk about an ensemble of different techniques. Uh, They did a lot of that in this recent AlphaGo success and winning the Go games. Uh, How do you approach all the elements of AI within your system? So I think that's a great question, and I think it's one that is important for people to realize. Uh, AI is big. Um, there are many aspects of AI. Um, we do one thing. Uh, we do natural language generation. There are some things that are closely adjacent to that, like analytics, um, you know, which certainly um, kind of borders on AI in many cases. Um, but we're not, uh, we don't hold ourselves out as an expert in all things AI. Uh, we're an expert in, in natural language generation. And so to the extent that we need, again, I think like any well-run technology company, to the extent that we need to build our platform using other technologies, whether they are kind of AI-powered or not, we'll go out and we'll find best-of-breed partners and partner with those organizations or license those technologies in order to incorporate those into, into what we're doing. But we're pretty good at knowing what we do and what we don't do. And in particular, when you're dealing, there's no easy part of AI. So you don't necessarily kind of crack one piece of AI and then just move on to the next thing really, really logically. We've got expertise in NLG, and that's very much where we're focused. Do you see a gap in the state of... Uh research where things are going um, in terms of both your solution set or maybe the, the broader market to bear? I don't know if I would describe it as a gap. I would say that we're still early, very, very early. You know, Gartner, for example, just recognized that natural language generation was a real thing and was going to be a part of, you know, enterprise technology stacks and enterprise reporting solutions. So they came out, I think, in the fall of 2015 and said, um, by 2018, 
80% of, uh, I'm sorry, 20% of, of, of reporting in the enterprise is going to be automated uh, in natural language. And that, you know, also by 2018, um, natural language capability um, uh, being integrated with BI and other kind of analytics platforms will be will be table stakes. So uh, I'm not sure whether that timing is right or wrong, but it's a few years away. And I think that, you know, again, we're still just getting started. So I think those gaps, if there are any, will be naturally closed as the technology becomes more mature and more widely used. So as CEOs then start thinking about leveraging AI, maybe they haven't yet, uh, where should they start? Yeah, so I think that there's two things that, Two, two reactions probably that CEOs have, two common reactions when uh, asked um, what their AI strategy is. Uh, one is to just feel like they don't understand it, and so they bury their head in the sand a little bit or just hope it'll go away um, and, and, and don't do much about it. The other is that they go to the other extreme, which is, hey, I'm reading about this every day in every publication that I read. It seems like it's everywhere. We're behind. Uh, we better get on this. Let's just start to buy some things or start to invest in areas. And I think both of those approaches are the wrong approaches. Um, I think that CEOs have to go back to first principles and really, again, understand um, what are the business problems that they're trying to solve? And are there people processes and or technologies that can help them do that. And they need to now add AI-powered technologies into the mix. So if you're running an organization, for example, with a large call center operation, you need to be looking at you know, natural you know, language, you know, natural speech, natural language processing, even natural language generation technologies like ours, because it makes a lot of sense. Um, there are other industries where uh, it may be uh, early or there may not be logical applications of AI that can be used today. And so you're more in the learning mode than you are in the, in the buying mode. But I would recommend to CEOs that they don't fall into the trap of having to buy, but also when they are looking at these technologies, don't fall for, hey, it's so complicated, you're not going to understand it, trust me. I think that um, companies, when they are first acquiring technologies that are uh, AI-powered, need to understand how these technologies work, try to stay away from black box technologies that don't explain themselves or are not transparent. Because look, this is software, right? These are not magic boxes. This is software that can be explained, that can be uh, exposed from a logic standpoint, from a standpoint of, of how these systems work. But most importantly, is there uh, a real initiative at the company that is well-funded with somebody in charge who can take ownership of the investment around these technologies, deploy these technologies, and have some type of uh, return metrics that they use to judge whether it's a, a success or not. And one other question to follow up on that, um, they should be getting data, gathering as much data as possible, differentiated data, maybe a data science team, or does that come later? Does that come first? Well, I think most of these technologies rely on data, and I've really assumed that most enterprises have at least started to make a pretty significant investment in data. But um, I would also uh, think that CEOs should ask themselves, 
why are we collecting this data? Are we collecting data because we think it's a good idea, but we're not really sure how that data is going to be used? Or are we collecting the data because we really think that there is value there? So there's no question that we live in a world where we're focused on data. I think organizations should be focused on their data all the way up to the CEO level. But you know, again, continue to ask, why are we doing this? And you know, what are the measurable outcomes that we're looking for by doing this? Stuart Frankel, CEO of Narrative Science. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs>